2 Kings chapter 6, open your Bible there. I want to get to some passages tonight that will help you. I want to encourage the believer tonight more than anything else. I want to help the believer. Uh, and I started last week and uh, looking, I believe I need just a little bit more here, uh, brothers. Um, I started last week looking at the unseen world as we take a look into the unseen world. And we did for a while, and then time ran out, and we quit looking at it. And so let me just kind of uh, give you the outline and then go with that tonight. Uh, the story, you know, is happening where the Syrian army has come down to um, surround the army of the Jehoshaphat. Listen to what happens in chapter 6 and look verse 15. Now, the, all the hills, all of them are full of Syrian chariots, horses, footmen, soldiers, uh, marksmen of all kinds, and here they are. Look what it says. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? If that was us, we'd say, Whoa, what are we going to do? That's what we'd do it right there. Because we'd be scared out of our gourd. And his servant said to him, Alas, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not. Don't scream and holler. Fear not. For they that be with us are more than they that be with them. You ought to underline that in your Bible. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. This is his new servant that had replaced Gehazi because Gehazi was so greedy. And he said, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord. Now here these great masses and hordes of army are coming down to Elijah. Elijah doesn't get his, out his AR, his AK. He doesn't try to find some old hand grenade somewhere. He doesn't do any of that. Look what he does. When they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, this was his prayer. Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Elisha asked God and he just did it. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And Elisha said to them, this is not the way, neither is this the city. Follow me and I'll bring you to the man whom you seek but he led them to Samaria. Let's bow our heads in prayer and ask God to bless tonight as we have another look into the unseen world. And part two will be how to overcome our enemies. Father, I pray you'll help us as we just catch up where we are and that we will place a tag on last week and then, God, we will triumph in what you have for us this week. We ask, God, that you'll help people to hear 
And Lord, even help our boys and girls who come here on Sunday night. Many of them love to come to church, and I thank you for that. And I think a whole lot more would love to come to church if mom and daddy love to come to church. So, God, would you put a love for obedience to God and coming to the house of God with the people of God, uh, in love with God, serving God, living for God, and so their boys and girls will grow up to see real Christians. And that's what we want, God, and we can't do that unless we have victory, unless we learn how to overcome the evil one. So help us with that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing we saw last week was the plot of the enemy in verses 8 through 14. We see that he had surprise tactics. He was a schemer, the Bible says. He not only would come at you with his tactics, but he would do it several times. The devil never gave up. He just kept on and on and on. And they, then he used his scare techniques. He just tried to intimidate you. Does the devil ever try to intimidate you? He tries to intimidate me. Sometimes he does. I let him. I shouldn't, but I do. And so God, uh, uh, the devil will create a situation of fear and cause you to surrender to fear rather than faith. And that's what he, verse 14, is talking about. He used a scare technique. He surrounded them with that huge army to scare them to death. So that's his plot. Now look at the panic. Look at the panic. We have to remember the plot. Don't ever forget the plot and also recognize the plot. Remember, you need to see, you need to be sensitive enough, spiritual enough, holy enough that you can see what the devil's up to. Okay, so that's the, the secondly, resist the panic in verse 15. I mean, this old boy, he got, he, he got scared out of his gourd. He comes up, huge army, uh, cruel, vicious, brutal, and he just knows they're goners because they hate the man of God because they believe the man of God could hear what was said in his own bedroom. <laughs> they, had, they had such confidence in the man of God that they believed that whatever the king said in his bedroom that God told him and so they could never ever, uh, they could never ever conquer Israel because Elisha kept telling them where not to go. Now, of course, this wonderful, beautiful king that was so ignorant, he didn't listen to Elisha sometimes and winds up in this situation that he is right now. Had he been obedient to God, you can even find where two or three times he went to the place where Elisha said not to go. So God says, you want that way? That's why you got it. So here they are. They've got the whole place scared to death. And so the devil will use a scare technique. He will create a situation of fear and cause you to surrender to it. Now, number two, we need to resist the panic. The young servant was new on the job. He took Gehazi's place. As soon as you throw your hat into God's service, the devil will seek to overwhelm you. You remember? Last week, we talked about how, how to overcome when we're overwhelmed as we looked into the un unseen world. When we think about all the power that the devil has and all the power that his demons had, sometimes we forget that God has 
twice that power and, and God himself has multitudes of that power, but we forget that and we're intimidated by the devil. And so God says here, don't, don't panic. The devil's trying to overwhelm you and oh, so that he can overcome you but by putting you in a um, undeliverable situation, at least that's what the odds say. The odds are totally against them coming out of this thing alive. And so during this time, a lot of people change sides. We, we've seen this here. You, you start preaching on certain things, uh, and of course, people don't like to hear it because they happen to have voted for a certain party a number of years, or they 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 joined something, uh, a club, or or something else a few years, and so or their parents or their children are involved in something else, and so they start drawing back because they don't want to be identified with the Word of God and the man of God. They'd rather be identified with the world as for their children or family or themselves have any problems in his life. Well, listen, folks, the way I look at it, if I'm going to have problems anyway, I might ought to get something out of it. So I'm just going to let it rip because I gotta, I'm going to have to suffer anyway, so i just going to let it rip. And you need to take that same approach. You're not going to get out of suffering, so just let her in. Let her in. And so here, uh, you need to make sure that the, uh, the second thing you don't do, once you sense the devil scheming against you, is you do not need to resist the panic. You make sure you resist the panic. How many of you panic when the devil gets after you? I do sometimes. I'll get, I, I, I'll get all panicky. Now, here's how to remain calm when the devil really tempts you. You got to put your mind of truth over the lie of the devil. Uh, let me give you a verse, Isaiah 26, 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. He knew where to keep his mind. You get your mind in the wrong place, then the devil will have a place. Okay? And so he knew um, who his real ministers was. It was the angels of God. I, let me just give you some verses, write them down. I haven't got time to go to them. Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Don't you like that verse? Hebrews 1, 14, look that up. I quoted it last week. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, there's many angels, and they're mighty angels. And that, that's he's saying, make sure you resist the panic. We, we sing the song, he could have called 10,000 angels, but we don't believe it. Because we really can call 10,000 angels, and we don't do it. And Jesus wasn't going to do it because now was his hour come. The hour he was to die on the cross of our sin. But we can call 10,000 angels. Or we can call whatever amount of angels we need to take care of the problem. Or we can just say, God, I, I can't see them. I don't know how many's there, but I know they're all here. And it's enough to whip the devil. So he knew, thirdly, not to be moved. No panic, no retreat. Romans 8, 31. 
I know there's two definitions for retreat, but it sounds kind of funny to me that Baptists always have retreats. <laughs> We're going backwards. Oh, I'm retreating. You know, let's go this way. We're outnumbered. That's not, I know that's not the, what y'all mean by the biblical explanation, but we might all think about changing it and calling it something else because we don't need to retreat. Notice what happens right here. If God be for us, who can be against us? So he had no panic. He had no restraint. He stood. That's all he did. He stood unmovable. He stood you see, they, we need to see for ourselves. Elisha didn't need to see those angels. He already knew this out there. He didn't need to see them. He didn't even ask to see them. I don't even know where he went now and looked to see them. But that little boy, that little guy, he's training up to be his, his uh, predecessor. He, he says, uh, uh, I, I, I need to see those angels. And so Elisha says, God, show him what's out there. He can't see it yet. He hadn't come to the point to where he believes you like I do and many other saints do. He said, so just let him see. Notice that Elisha had such faith, he didn't need to see them. He just knew they were there. Can you live like that? I can. That's a good way to live, isn't it? Just look, look up when you have time somewhere, Hebrews 11, verse 27, and see how Moses was able to overcome the Bible says he was able to overcome because he could see the invisible one. Sometimes we just need to see the invisible one. Sometimes I just want to say, God, everything's stacked against me. Nothing's working right. Nobody's happy. There's just no chance in this world to try to pastor a church that's got any sin. God, do something. And then he says, shut up. Shut up. All I ask you to do is stand. You don't have to see my angels out there. You know they are. Mm. So, but a new believer has to see them for themselves. Y'all getting this? Secondly, a, a young believer needs to go to others in times of fear and unbelief and times of challenge. If you're a mature Christian, you need to go to an immature Christian and try to help them when they are fearful, when they're intimidated, when they think they're overwhelmed or outnumbered and the odds is against them. We need to encourage them. And so that's what he, and you can write this scripture down, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 and 4. So young servants need our prayer in times like these. Wouldn't you agree? Prayers of people. You see, it was the prayer of Elijah that made the difference in this young man. This man was scared out of his gourd, and all Elijah did was said, God, show him. He prayed. And he went outside, and God showed him what nobody else could see. Isn't that amazing? You see, I, they're all around. I, I know I got them here. I don't have to see them. There are angels everywhere. You know, I might bump into one here, but I, I just go right through them. You can't, you, you can't hurt them. You just kind of walk through them. They're everywhere. They're swarming around God's children. And, and, and perhaps some have to leave and go help somebody else. And, but whatever the case is, God will never, ever leave you defenseless. 
Mm. So here's the third thing. Remember your protection. Recognize the plot. Don't give in to that panic. And remember your protection. Note how the army and the servant, Elisha, was protected. First of all, the army was protected because of the prophet's warning. The armies of Israel was protected because of the prophet's warning. The servants of God was also protected by the prophet's wisdom. And thirdly, Elisha needed the prophet's warfare for protection. In other words, all we really have to do to stand against the devil is to just stand. Number one, you need to show up, and then you need to stand up. When you do, God takes care of our protection. You say, well, I I don't know. Well, I remember... um, some time ago, one of the believers had prayed for me, and I'd come through a situation, and I, I was, um, you know, it, it was a, one of those times when I could have very well died. I got killed. And uh, I, I was the object of the devil's plot, no doubt, in somebody else's mind, obviously. And um, so... There was a guy that asked me about what had happened to me. I said, how do you know? He said, because at that, he said, there's just a, a time the other day, I just, I just sensed that I, I need to pray for you. I said, well, you sure picked a good time. Thank you, brother, <laughs> because I nearly lost it that day. I, I could have been killed. Folks, who knows what could happen when we walk out this door if God doesn't have his protection around us. We need to be able to trust his protection. Now, look at this army. He takes the prophet's warning in verse 9 and 10. God is so merciful that he endows messengers with perception of warnings to sinners so they won't go to hell and to saints so they won't get connected to the world. Now, with me? How thankful we should be when a man of God puts us on our guard against the unsuspected evil one. Instead of getting mad at the man of God, why don't you get glad you've learned something? But if we disregard his warning and go to the place where he warned us not to go, get involved in the thing he told us not to get involved, guess what? We have left our protection. He warned him several times. We're to follow no preacher blindly. I would never ask you to do that. Follow no preacher blindly. But when warnings come from this book as a light of Scripture, we need to heed it. Here's the second thing. The servant, the prophet's wisdom. He helped calm this young man's fears because of the things God had showed him about the enemy and about the victory. Imagine all the things Elisha had learned and all the times that Elisha had been protected by God and he shares it just this way. This one way right here convinced this boy that we have a God who can take care of us. 
And so uh, the prophet's warfare, he was already settled. He had on the helmet of salvation. Ephesians 6, 17, and 18 will tell you this. He had on the helmet of salvation. That means his mind was right. He had the sword of the Spirit. That means his message was right. He had the prayer of the Spirit. That means his method was right. Y'all understand that? You see, many of us have been overwhelmed. Elijah on Mount Carmel was overwhelmed. But you know how he won the battle? With prayer. He just prayed. Said, God, show up down here. Show this bunch of pagans how much power you have. So God's people will get back on their face again, start reading their Bible again, repent of their filthy sin again, start living for God. Hezekiah, you know, Sennacherib and the Assyrian army was gathered all around them, and it got so bad they was even eating their kids. That's bad. I'd say that's hungry, right? And so they come to that place to where it had gotten so bad, and he was, and they they were surrounded. And so Hezekiah gets a message, and he takes it up before uh, Sennacherib, and he lays it out. He said, "Now listen, let's read this. Let's read what God has to say about this thing." And they read God's word about what God had to say about his protection of his people. And the next morning, laying all around their camp was a bunch of dead Assyrians, 185,000 dead Assyrians. Pretty good protection, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's good protection. You see, the protection was all the time. We just don't see it. It's always there. We just don't see it. Write Psalm 68, 17 down. You'll love that. Uh, prayer brings angelic support. Hebrews 1, 7, not 14, but Hebrews 1, 7 um, means uh, angels here. Um, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. And then in Acts 27 you remember the story there where the, 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 they're, in the seat, they're in the ship and it's about to break up and Paul's a prisoner, but the guy over the ship, had, uh, the, the Roman the, the centurion who was over the, the prisoners on that ship, he kind of took a liking to Paul and he kind of was listening to Paul and, and Paul got a word. The Bible said that God came and stood by him that night and said, you tell them, they don't do anything. They don't do anything. They just watch me work. And so Elijah comes up the next morning and says, you all need to eat and drink now. Let's have breakfast. They said, breakfast? We're about to die. I guess he said, well, die full. I know some folks would rather die full than live empty. Amen? And so you know what happened? Before that thing was said and done, 318 people had made it to shore and not one person had died, not one person had gotten away. Everything was like it. God said it would be protection. How do, you think, how do you think in a wild storm that a ship could be broken up and hundreds of men could be saved unless God did that? So that's what happened. So, 
Hope you'll remember when you're overwhelmed or you're overcome, recognize the plot, resist the panic, and remember your protection. You know, got that? Now they say it again. Recognize the plot, resist the panic, and remember your protection. Even the wise men listen to God. And if you're wise, you'll listen to God. You say, well, I'll shack up if I want to. I'll fornicate if I want to. I'll drink liquor if I want to. I'll hate people if I want to. I'll never forgive if I want to. That's a dumb response to life. You'll pay for that. The wise men understood if they went back the way they came, they would die. But if they listened to God, they would be protected. And so they went back another way. Aren't you glad we have a God like that? So remember your protection. Have you got that? Now, I want you, I want to add a, another just a little segment to this to kind of help you. How many has ever had an enemy? Let me see your hand. Wow, hardly nobody. Anybody, I'm sorry. Uh, all of us have had enemies, and if we don't have one, we will have. If you stand for God or live for God, you're going to have that kind of enemy. And if you don't stand for God live for God, you're going to have another kind of enemy. But you're going to have an enemy. And so I want just to look at this text and see how that you deal with your enemies. How do you handle enemies? Now, I must say that I have a hard time with this and some of the things I'm going to tell you, I may have to repent before I even get through preaching. But I want to tell you four things how to handle your enemies. Number one, let the enemy come to you. Avoid ambush. Number two, accept your advantage. Number three, assemble the army. You say, what? The church. Through prayer, through angels, assemble the army. Fourthly, attack affectionately. Boy, I have a hard time with that one. Attack affectionately. And when you do those four things, you will render Satan powerless. You will have your eyes opened. And you will realize that you have eternal life. So let's continue on this subject of protection as we learn how to handle our enemies. And I'll try to move it along fast, but you, you put it down, all right? Let's continue as we say, number one, avoid ambush. What I mean by that is we saw three ways God protects us, but notice that God does not always keep us out of a confrontation. You're going to have some confrontation in life. You can run from it all you want to. You can dodge it all you want to. You can try to avoid it as long as you want to, but sooner or later, it'll come to confrontation. 
confrontation. But God does not always keep us out of confrontation because God sometimes gets the victory through confrontation. He wants us to meet him on God's terms, not Satan's traps. You see, if you take off after the enemy, the devil already knows what he's got planned for you. So you let the enemy come to you and God already knows what he's got planned for him. That's good preaching, Brother Glenn. Five ways to keep us from the tempter's snare. First of all, we have a spokesman to warn us. And you mamas and daddies, write down Proverbs 4, verses 10 through 14. Well, all of you write it down, but just write that down. You have a spokesman to warn us. Might be your Sunday school teacher. Might be your discipleship training teacher. Oh, heaven help. It might be your preacher. Might be just some man of God that's a layman who's walked with God, but he warns you about walking into a trap. Y'all listen to wisdom. Second thing, we have the spokesman to warn us. We have the scriptures to show us. Look, Psalm 119.9, wherewith shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. And you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and God lays out what happened to the children of Israel while they was in the desert and all the things that they started lusting for and all the things they started wanting and God has to start telling them that he wanted them and everything that had happened with them to be an example for us that we might learn we don't have to get beat when we're tempted. And he gave 1 Corinthians 10 tells us the scriptures to show us. They're the lanterns for our everyday life. Number three, we have the spirit to guide us. John chapter 16, verses 13 through 15 says that when he is come, he will show you things to come. Isn't it good to have a God who knows the future so that when you go into battle, you know how it's going to turn out. I like that. So the Holy Spirit guides us. Notice in 2 Kings chapter 6 there in verse number 12, certain things God makes us aware of if we are spiritually sensitive and a student of scriptures. And so he was you just have to be sensitive and a student of scriptures. And when you do, the spirit will guide you. He won't come down and write you a letter. He might, could, but he's not. He lives in you. He's going to guide you. You say, well, how will I know? Well, if you start going this way and in your heart, you can get no peace about it. Just guess what? That ain't the way you're supposed to go. So you start going this way and you get peace about it. Guess what? That's the way you're supposed to go. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Number four, we have the saints to help us. Hebrews 13, verse 1 and 2. Write that down. The Bible says that we're supposed to love our brethren like we were in their own bodies. So if you've got an enemy... New saints need to come along beside that person who may be overwhelmed with 
overcoming odds against them and they're struggling with temptation and you need to come and you need to forget about your little trivial, silly things and say, I need to suffer and I need to hurt like I was in their body. You know, I don't, I don't care what we do here to try to do right. There's somebody not going to like it. I've said to folks before that I don't get up every morning and say, God, what can I do stupid today? I do enough stupid just automatically. And so when we know we have to make a decision and we have to do something right, even though it's absolutely, totally, 100% biblically right, it never, ever stops at that. There's Facebooks and Twitters and tweets and gossip in the hall and, and in the bathrooms. I, yeah, I, I like to, we need to put a mic in those bathrooms because they talk over those them things, you know? They got little holes drilled in there where they can, it just fits right up against their ear and they can just lean up there. I don't care how we do it, it, it doesn't turn out right. So folks, listen to me. When you know you've got enemies against you, you start to treat them like you was in their own body. They need your help. Fifthly, and then I'm about to quit, there is situations to halt us. Luke, I mean, Numbers chapter 22, verses 31 through 33, and I probably just need to turn to that one. That is, if I can find it. Numbers chapter number... 22, verse 31. And we're dealing with Balaam, and all of you are aware of Balaam, right? Now listen what verse 31 said. The Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Wherefore hast thou smitten thine ass these three times? Behold, I went out to withstand thee, because thy way is perverse before me. God said, I went down there to keep you from going that way, but you was determined to go. And all you did was beat on your donkey. And look what he says. And the ass saw me and turned me from these three times. In other words, situation halted him. Unless she had turned from me, surely now also I had slain thee, but I would have saved your donkey. <laughs> In other words, he puts a preacher on the plane with a donkey. And actually the donkey gets more respect than the preacher because the donkey sees with eyes that God wants him to see through since God owns everything. But Balaam refused to see through the eyes of God. Situations that halt us. God may put a slow car in your way and you're sitting there, you know, hollering and screaming and cussing and throwing stuff around the car and I'm beating on the steering wheel. Like, like some folks I know, I don't do that, but I know y'all do. I've seen some of y'all do it. I know my daughter would never do it. 
But God may have put you behind a slow car to keep you from something ahead of you that would protect you. Just remember that. God can do multiple kinds of things to keep us from running into the devil's snares. God just says, you show up, you stand up, you look up, and I'll win the victory. So remember, there are situations in our life that halt us. Avoid the satanic confrontation. Avoid personal confrontation as much as you can. But remember this, you cannot avoid it all. Romans 12, 8 says, If it be possible, live peaceably with all men as much as life in you. But there comes a time when you can no longer live in peace with your enemy. So all that's left to do is to confront them. And you confront them knowing that you have the angelic protection around you because you know you're in the will of God. And that other brother, if not, maybe there's not a brother, maybe it's not a sister, but if it is a brother or a sister, they should come into it with the same situation. And when you do before long, you'll be seeing eye to eye. Y'all with me? Avoid ambush. Don't walk into the enemy's trap. The Spirit will guide you. The saints will help you. The situations will halt you. And I'm going to quit right there, but as we go down that list, there's some ways that God tells us to deal with our enemies, and I will do them pretty quick. In fact, I just probably will come back next week and do them because if I mess it up tonight, you won't believe nothing I say next week. There's some ways to handle your enemies. Now, we started it tonight. One of those ways is you do everything in your power not to do anything that would cause a confrontation. Oh, I don't. I just try to keep my mouth shut and do what I want to. Well, if you're living like the devil and somebody comes and talks to you about your lifestyle or your friend at work talks to you about your lifestyle and you get mad about it, that's your problem. From that point on, he becomes your enemy until he gets right with God. And so you avoid confrontation as much as you can, but every time they walk by you and say, who you think you are, God? What do you think you're doing? You don't ever sin, do you? They'll do that, and you just say, no, I never do, and just keep working, all right? <laughs> so, folks, listen. Man, we've got a lot. We've got a lot to face in these end times. And we're going to need to know we're defended. I was in New Orleans a few years back. I was with a friend of mine. We'd went down there witnessing, of course. 
Nothing else, just witness. We witnessed during the daytime, we witnessed during the nighttime. And in the crowds, I kind of got separated from my buddy. And so he walks out of a lighted area down this uh, uh, pagan street and walks into the dark. And about that time, I see a guy jump out and head toward him. Well, I knew what he was going to do. He was going to hit him in the back of the head, and he was going to... And so back then, I still could move a little bit. I still had some leg movement, and I, even if I hadn't, if I would have took off, I took off as hard as I could, and I hit that guy, and I knocked him out of the way, and he took off running like a scared chicken because that's where the devil operates. He don't want to face you man to man when you know you have God with you. He wants to face you in a scheming trick to slither into your life. So in these last days, folks, let's don't take lightly dealing with our temptations. Confrontation will come, but avoid it as long as you can.